Hello and welcome to episode three of The Podding Shed, the podcast of the ChelseaFCblog.com, a project which may or may not be backed by Roman Abramovich. Um, a belated welcome and thanks to Nick, our blogmaster, for our excellent theme tune. If the image of four gentlemen who are arguably old enough to know better merrily skanking away in a tool shed doesn't disturb you too much, then do stay with us. Analysing this week's events and talking points with a little more depth than Thierry Henry's proposed four-storey fish tank, <laughs> aiming, to, aiming to avoid a Brighton-esque own goal avalanche or an all-out Chisora Hay-style brawl, we <laughs> this week with me, Isaac Johnny, and Rosa Jack, otherwise known as Tony, Mark25, Mark, and Dr Blue Bayou, or Donal, as he's otherwise known. Good evening. Good evening, everyone. Um, thank you for all the feedback, especially on the, the superstitions post. It's really greatly appreciated. We'll be talking about that a bit later on. Um, we will start with the Birmingham game. Um, what does one say? Um, a one-all draw against a championship side who were very well organised, as far as I can tell. Um, we seem to lack a little bit of creativity and penetration against good organisation, as we have done so much this season. Um, according to the stats, it's just four shots on target, one of which presumably was the penalty and won the goal, um, for over 60% of the possession. Um, is that us becoming the ultimate in Arsenal-style fanny merchants, or are there deeper problems? Um, Everyone else saw the game other than me, so yet again I will um, hand over to them. Mark, you were there. Um, some talking points. What did you think of the game? Well, I think anyone who's seen any of our previous few games, and, and they only have to have seen any one of them, really, which is Norwich away, um, Swansea City away, Everton away. If you've got, got a glimpse of any of those, then yesterday was just 90, 90 minutes more of that stuff. I think it's the fairest summary. I read um, Donald's excellent report on the blog and agreed with pretty much all of that, actually. Um, first half, I think it's hard to imagine how a team could be more pedestrian. I've never seen so much slow sideways passing between centre-backs. And it just gives the opposition team so much time to position themselves that there's absolutely no chance of breaking them down. I mean, we never actually make a fast, path, uh, fast pass or a quick movement. Mm. that will take anyone by surprise. So I think we must be the easiest team to play against now. Yeah. And I don't think it matters really if we were playing Barcelona or Stevenage. We would play the same, and I think everyone would be effective against us because we are just absolutely pedestrian. Mm. I think actually it struck me, I did actually get to um, catch some of the Arsenal game and, and for, for all the, the passing, and this is what concerns me about what we're maybe starting to become for all the, all the passing. Um, Sunderland's goals were, you know, quick, clever breakaways and basically the undo, you know, a, a very easy undoing of um, a, a team that for all its possession just doesn't really seem to do a great deal. And I'm, I'm slightly concerned that that's the way that we're heading. Um, Donald, you were, you were there too. Um, anything that you picked up on that you'd like to talk about? Um the only couple of quick points would be that, as Mark says, we're an extremely static team. And now, obviously, against teams like Birmingham, against a lot of teams, they're all going to sit and wait for us to, to come on to them. And we have to expect that and, and somehow have a pattern of play that's going to break that down. I, the, the players, as I've said before, they, there's no anticipation of where the ball might be. I always think of, of Trevor Brooking and his story of Ron Greenwood telling him that football was about pictures in your head 
well, I don't know what pictures our boys are looking at, but <laughs> nothing to do with the football. Um, that, you know, you would expect the ball's coming into a player, and if you're watching United and, and Barcelona, and even just, you know, quite a lot of, of what we would say the workaday teams who, who play together as a team, the player receiving the ball already knows where he's going to put the ball. He's got a couple of options, and he knows who's going to be running, what sort of patterns they're going to be playing. Mm. We don't seem to have that. The player receives the ball, and you know where, where's he going to put it? I thought the only improvement, and as I said in, in the blog, we're talking sort of degrees that you'd probably need a microscope to observe, was when they, they had Drogba, Kalu, and Mata was shifted in to play behind a sort of front three of Sturridge, Drogba, and Kalu. Well, that's how the, the shape seemed to me. So you basically had four attacking players, three either three and a one in front or three and a one behind, whichever way you want to put it. But mm. they, they, Drogba, although he didn't play that well, at least they played some sort of direct football. He encouraged I know people say, well, it, all they do then is knock the ball long. But we seem to at least move the ball out from the back and perhaps it was a blessing that we didn't pass it around too much in midfield but got it up quicker. Mm. It, it seemed to stretch Birmingham a bit. Matter seemed to find some space. And there was a slight upping of the tempo. We got the goal and we played for another five or ten minutes like that before then reverting back to the very pedestrian. So, you know, I'm not saying the answer is to play Drogba Kalu and Sturridge as a front three and Matter in behind, but certainly it reinforces this idea that Matter shouldn't be playing out left or right. He should... Mm. The, the shape of the team should accommodate where he's best and, and work around that, I think. Just, think, just yeah. for, for these next couple of months anyway until they decide what they want to do with the team. What Bernal is saying there is, is quite correct. And when Drogba came on, there was a bit more energy in the team, but we did start playing it up long. The thing that's slightly worrying about that is, up until that point in the season, we've been trying to model ourselves on Barcelona. As soon as we tried to model ourselves on Stoke, we became a bit more effective. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is um, maybe that um, the VS Post deserves... For it or not, I don't, I don't think it's the right word, but there is a you know, he, he clearly wants to play a particular style of football, and, and for much of the season, a lot of people seem to have been saying, We you actually don't really have the players to do that, so why don't you play what suits them? Um, and we, we may get somewhere. Um, I, I can appreciate to an extent what he's trying to do, he wants to you know, to mould a team in his own image, but. I suppose there does come a point where you have to kind of cut your coat according to your cloth. Um, Tony, um, you were you were watching on a on the box. What were your thoughts? I'm pretty much on the same page as Donal and, and Mark. I've written down slow. I think we've known that for some time. I don't think that's any different. We mentioned it last week. It's no different from um, last season and and arguably the season before. Possibly, and when we did the double, there was something quite surprising about us at times during that year. But last year, this uh, slow, ponderous, twenty-seven passes to get to the halfway line stuff mm. um, does appear to uh, we do appear to have a touch of Arsenalitis, um, as if we've been sort of infected by the desire to play this beautiful, lovely, tippy-tappy football, which goes nowhere in the end. And we've been masters at holding Arsenal at arm's length when they've come and played that against us previously. So there, there is 
an awful lot of that. I think that the sheer un, the sheer number of unforced errors, you know, where we have possession and we just give it away, and it's players who, to me, look like they're asleep or they're just not quite focused enough. Um, someone said, you know, there's a lot of passes that have been played into space where, and it was it reminded me a little bit of the old days when when we tried to team um, the the wondrous, the mystical, marvelous Gianfranco Zola with Chris Sutton. And Zola would play ball after ball into this acres of space, only mm. to find Sutton basically sat on the side, scratching his ass, putting his roll up out. It was, um, <laughs> you know, there, there was a lot of this going on, um, a lot of second ball lost. So uh, what I noticed with Birmingham, and, and, and I just think it is the nature of championship teams, but slightly insulting really, because Chris Houghton, Houghton, however you pronounce it, uh, is a, a much underrated manager in my view and he's obviously got something there if he, the way he motivates that team yeah he seems to have done a reasonable job wherever he's been yeah. and, but this is we, we, we're a team that sits off people and when the loose ball is there I think it just looks like our players are slightly lazy not running for it um, but I do think that we some of our players don't want to do the tackle Torres was particularly guilty yesterday I think um, I, I've been very patient with him but yesterday it was a stinker Absolute stink, and he can't keep turning around and saying this is all down to lack of service or whatever. Um, I disagree with Donal fundamentally about Morellis. I thought he was shocking yesterday. He just um, pub, pub players sprung to mind there. Um, mm-hmm. um, Ramirez ninety percent fit, possibly. I think we may we may have pushed him back in just a little bit early. Yeah, um, but he would have gained obviously from, from from that. And it's interesting what's been said about Drogba as well, because there was a load of utter rubbish spoken on ESPN about him giving half-time team talks in the tunnel and this. Um, ITV very kindly showed the tunnel today, um, uh, and Roy Keane was very um, to the point in saying that Drogba was doing that because he knew the camera was on him, and he did nothing more than just shake hands with people as they come out and pat them on the back. It was not a half-time team talk in the tunnel, as has been described. So, you know, we have yet again more hysterically incorrect journalism going on. It's in interesting. Well, Drogba came on; it was more energy. We mm. were better in the second half. It was it was hard to see how we could have been much worse, really. Um, but an interesting statistic was in the first thirty minutes of the second half, Drogba had six touches. Mm. So it's it's not the not the kind of service no. that um, your average striker is going to thrive. No. and and so you know, for all the bustling nature of his of his play, um, the, the people who seem to be holding him out as sort of evangelical prodigal son returning to save the team, have kind of forgotten. That I think he's really only had two good games for us this season, and one of those was Valencia. And um, the rest of the time, I, I just don't think he's been much to write home about. So, uh, oddly mm. enough. To see Kalu coming on kind of filled my heart with joy because it wasn't Maluda. <laughs> it's not something I've ever heard you say before, in all honesty. No, and I think, to be fair, he did a better job than Maluda would have done. I mean, he didn't lose the ball, and he did, he did work quite hard. I Absolutely think. not. Yeah. And, and, and perhaps this is, uh, and, and this isn't meant to be sort of ironic, this could be uh, a time for Kalu to shine because that team needs, it. I know he has that kind of blind alley mentality, but, you know, I don't think there's a, not many Chelsea fans would say, like, you know, he doesn't work hard for the team, and he did yesterday. And I just think he's possibly got a chance to um, make himself look good now because the rest well, of the choices there are not particularly great. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, it, it, it lies down, lies in statistics, but I, I think, including yesterday, he's, he's got three goals in eight games and he's only started one of those, um, which, if, if you compare, you know, kind of goals to games ratio to Torres and Drogba, it's, um, it's, it's looking pretty hot, which is not saying much, but, um, you know, it, it's, it's certainly better than nothing and, you know, he seems to do reasonably well when we come on and it's just the fact that he has a little bit of pace, which is what we seem to lack at the moment. Well, can I just say one more thing as well? I think, you know, there's a lot of hysteria over a 1-1 home draw with Birmingham from the Championship in the FA Cup. Um, yes. I mean, England discredits Birmingham for their attitude, but I think the attendance and the kick-off time, I think they are all factors in... You know, I, I think it's noticeable that those midday lunchtime sort of games do lack atmosphere. I think, I just think, you know, whether the FA Cup gets a different crowd in there or not, but I just don't think people are ready at that time of the day to really let themselves loose in terms of no, atmosphere. No, I, I, would, I would agree with that. Um, to, to move on, um, the quote um, that was, was leapt all over this week and, and struck me as one of those things that will come back to haunt him at some point was V.S. Boas's assertion that it doesn't matter that there are players that aren't on board for the project. As long as Roman Abramovich is, that's all that matters. Um, it, it struck me a little bit like um, Mourinho's untouchables quote, not that they're, they're the same thing, but they're the kind of thing that will eventually come back to haunt you. Um, I picked up a, a great little quote on, um, I think on the Twitter feed. Um, Jock Steen said, the secret of football management is keeping the five gets who hate you away from the six who are undecided. Um, <laughs> I think that probably sums up our... Um, our manager's current um, dilemma quite mm. well. Um, another thing, I think I'm fairly sure it was Henry Winter, but apologies if it wasn't picked up on, was when V.S. Boas was giving instructions to Lampard on the touchline. Um, Lampard apparently was kind of looking at his boots and didn't seem terribly engaged with what, um, what his manager was saying, which is unusual in the sense I've not seen footage of that and I don't think any of us really caught it. I did. Um, so the project, how many players are on board, how many are undecided, and how many hate the manager? Um, Can I just ask, John, uh, yeah. is, is is the project something that the media have decided to call it, or is it something that V.S. Boas himself... It, it's a phrase that V.S. Boas has used um, mm. on a couple of occasions, and it, it, okay. it's one of those things that it, it's this sort of indefinable, like the untouchable thing, it's this sort of slightly undefinable thing that you're maybe yeah. using. Someone, some, someone needs to, someone needs to remind him that uh, here in the UK we digest an enormous amount of uh, US crime TV and that the term mm. project is taking on a very <laughs> a very unfortunate overtone when one thinks of like the centre of Detroit or Baltimore or somewhere like that. Yes. So when you refer to uh, the project or the projects, um, it, it conjures up... Uh, Something other than that, which uh, a shiny new and loveliness, which we can all look forward to. Mm. But to be fair to AVB, actually, the first time I heard that phrase used in a football context was with Mourinho, mm. oh, who, right, okay. who arrived at Chelsea and said he was here for a ten-year project. Mm. And I think, to be honest, all modern European managers yeah. talk in that kind of speak. That kind of they're not like Harry Redknapp. Mm. Well, ten years ten years ago, the project was obviously shiny and new. And now it's just covered in graffiti and burnt out cars, I think, and that's <laughs> not where we're going. Yeah. I, I think I think it's a difficulty. It's obviously, you know, the media will always leap on a soundbite to, mm. to kind of define a manager or, you know, 
a particular club or whatever it happens to be. Um, Mark, this, this is what I had this conversation with someone in the week. It, it basically seems to me that the manager is saying, look, guys, it's my way or the highway. The boss is behind me. You either get on board or you get out. Um, is, is that your reading of it in terms of the way he's talking or is there something else to this? I don't know, to be honest. I mean, I think a lot of it depends on what the brief is that he was given by Roman when he signed him up. Mm. If Roman said, um, Andre, you're here for three years and I don't want to see any of the existing squad on the books by the time you've finished, you know, I want to break up the old, the old guard and get a new team in, mm. then that's a legitimate um, brief for Andre to say what he said. That basically, um, I'm here to break you all up. You're all going to go. I don't care if you like me or not. There'll be a new guardian within the next two years. Mm. Yeah, no, I think that's a fair point. It, it does, and it, anything that Abramovich says to any potential manager, I think is probably a bit of a movable feast in the sense that it, it will last for as long as he's confident that um, his wishes are going to be carried out. But I suspect that... Um, Napoli and uh, the Bolton game next weekend may be um, defining moments in Mr. Villas-Boas' Chelsea career. Um, Tony, you, we all pretty much agreed last week that we think that Villas-Boas should stay, albeit that it's not really for, for the reasons you particularly want a manager to stay. Um, what, what's your take on his, um, his use of this term and, um, and where it's going to take us? I think it's um, just a, a typical person who's got English as a second language. It's like when they use the word moment instead of minute. I don't really read too much into it other than mm. I think the word project is still there to mean you know the development of something new um, to replace something old or to add to something old. I think Villas Boas has possibly for the first time, or been one of the first coaches to have that unequivocal... You, you don't go to the press and say you have unconditional backing because you're just heading for a fall unless you really mm. do have. And, the, you know, we had this incident um, back in uh, pre-Christmas sometime um, uh, where obviously one of my contacts, who is a very good friend of a lot of the old senior players, but one of those does include Robbie Di Matteo as a golf partner, um, and I made it very clear that uh, in, in one of their team discussions at Cobham, that the full backing of the owner was carried in Andre Villas-Boas' words. Mm. And I think there was a fantastic point. I mean, I, I think when players start, um, you know, and I, I sort of, I've had quite a few Twitter debates, shall we say, with Pete Watts. Um, mm. And, and we, we, we talk about a lot of things in, that we have in common. Um, but we probably a polar opposite. <laughs> polar opposites on this particular point because um, I, I do see in Andre Villas Boas that you know we need to move things on, and and I just can't take this blind view that the players are playing no part in this. That it's all down to one man. Those mm -hmm. players out there, if they're not playing for the manager, they should be playing for the bloody badge, and they're not. And I see some of them in some cases. Frank Lampard's body language yesterday. When they said that about, you know, I think it was Henry Winter, when he said that about the body language, this was taken from the point of view that, you know, when they catch, when the paparazzi catch someone yawning in the back of a, a limo, they're drunk. It's that mm -hmm. instant in time. And 
anybody can interpret different bodies. It's a snapshot, isn't it? I saw Frank Lampard in a very bright, bright and rather unfortunately coloured pink tabard, nodding. Mm. Yeah, nodding. And it looked to me like he was, yes, yeah, I've got that, I'm understanding that, yes, 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 this sort of thing. Uh, Okay. One other point that was raised, and it was one that really interested me this morning, because I don't often hear a lot of common sense spoken on the Sunday Supplement, but Sam Wallace from The Independent, was a sort of lone voice until, uh, I can't remember the guy from the Times, Duncan, somebody or other, and Paul Smith um, from, I think, The Sun, uh, decided that, oh, actually, this guy's got a point. But as he said, um, Andrew Villas-Boas is going in there and he is rattling cages. He is being his own man. Because Mm. if you're going to get the sack, get the sack for being true to yourself. Don't get the sack for following what everybody else has done. And... uh, Mm, And I just think this is a point, is that if he's gone in there with the backing of Roman Abramovich and it's upsetting an existing clique of players, and let's be fair, only two of them were on the pitch yesterday to start with, um, then so be it. They're not going to, turkeys won't vote for Christmas. And I just think ultimately at the end of the day, a lot of those players and some of the new ones need to really look at their whole attitude because, you know, if they're not willing to play for me, a paying fan and the club, then I don't really want them there. If I can just come back on the word project, um, mm. Tony mentioned it might be just um, Europeans speaking English and not quite understanding the meaning of the term project. I, I think it might actually be Jose Mourinho speak. I've just done a quick search on Google, and you mentioned Sam Wallace. Mm. Well, I've got an article here from The Telegraph, uh, April 2004, headline, Mourinho would prefer Liverpool. So this is before he joined us, and Mourinho expressed concerns about taking over the world's richest club. And if I read one very short paragraph to you, uh, Mourinho is quoted as saying, Liverpool are a team that interests everyone, and Chelsea does not interest me so much because it is a new project with lots of money invested in it. I think it is a project which, if the club failed to win everything, then Abramovich could retire and take the money out of the club. It's an uncertain project. Right. So he, he used the word project three times within a very short paragraph. Mm. And basically, um, Andre's been sitting next to him for two or three years while he was at Chelsea. If he mentions project as many times in that one paragraph throughout the rest of the week, he's, he's well, I'm not surprised that Andre learned that word of English first. <laughs> yeah. That's a very good point, actually. You know, thanks for picking up on that. That's um, it's, it's a good, good bit of um, live googling to, um, to to illustrate a point. I think that's excellent. Um, I think if we round off the, um, the Birmingham game, the, obviously the, the replay I think is March the sixth up at St Andrews. Um, can I can I just say one other thing, John? Um, yeah, go ahead. About the AVB situation, it is worth um, contrasting his fortunes at the moment with uh, with his mentor, Mr Mourinho, who, despite looking like he's going to win La Liga and um, obviously will be in the mix for the Champions League, um, he himself is having difficulties with a, with a, a dressing room, isn't he? Uh, it's been well documented that yeah, he's had some big fallings out with some of the uh, senior Spanish players in, in that dressing room in Real Madrid. So it does happen, uh, no matter what the abilities of the manager. Mm. Obviously, you could argue that uh, Jose's got more to to manage with over there. He, he's got perhaps a better, deeper squad, I don't know. We could argue that, but uh, 
he himself is, is finding it difficult to, to control that dressing room such that people talk about him being disillusioned and wanting out of there once he's uh, finished the season. So, mm. you know, it's, it's, Andre is, is not the only person who's struggling with the dressing room. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, I suppose it's, it's the same thing, just a question of degree, really, isn't it? It's mm. um, obviously an issue that um, will rumble on. Um, I think we'll probably round off with um, a good, the bad, and the ugly. Donald, you've obviously kind of um, given yours on the um, on the blog already, yes. um, which I would urge everyone to read. I'd also thank um, the few Birmingham fans that seem to have pitched up and uh, left some comments there, and, and quite smart ones as well, rather than um, the usual abuse <laughs> we get from uh, opposition fans. So um, yeah, welcome back, Lord. welcome to all of you, and uh, do come back um, once we've had the replay and um, let us know what you thought about it. www.chelseafcblog.com. I think as a club, they're probably the only ones in my memory that you know as a solid group have actually come on the blog and each one pretty sensible has has said something so you know they may disagree that's fine but you know they've all been reasonable and uh you know good luck to them really yeah absolutely you know it's perhaps not how we viewed birmingham fans back in the 70s and 80s but they certainly uh certainly did themselves proud in terms of coming on the blog and saying something reasonable yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, Tony, if you would like to uh, offer us your good, the bad and the ugly, please. Oh, I do apologise, chaps. I was um, having a little bit of a coughing you, were, you a, were you in a drug-induced haze again? <laughs> yes, yes. So for, the, for, our, um, for our legions of listeners out there, I, I'm currently playing this uh, under injury. I've been forced by the manager to go out and, and play whilst I'm patently not fit to do this. Um, Man flu. Terrible. Yes, people knock it, but it's such a debilitating disease. Um, Just run it me, off. The good, the good for me. <laughs> the good for me. Um, it, there was pretty little, but I'm going to go for Danny Sturridge, who I thought um, led the line a little bit yesterday. He's a greedy so and so, but I thought he is. He took his header well. He wanted. He looked desperate. Um, to to do something and uh, I was impressed I was impressed with the way he was running around pretty much like a headless chicken I guess at some points but at least he was our headless chicken and he was running rather than the sort of ponderous movements of some of the other players so I was quite impressed with him yesterday and he looked angry and I quite like that I like I like I like to see an angry striker um, I think bit of fire. I think we're I think we're at a point now where perhaps he should be given a, a shot in the centre. Um, rather than out on the right, I think he's probably making his point quite quite well there. Um, mm. From a bad perspective, um, I just want to put Raúl Morelles in there. He's been stinking the place out for a few weeks now, and I think this is my issue with AVB. If you can't see that, um, then that that seriously worries me. It, it's the same as loads of us can see with Maluda and that. This guy yesterday must have. To me, just seemed to give the ball away, um, showboats at the wrong time, um, has a shot on him that, you know, his, his shot to goal ratio must be up there with Essien. Um, you know, once every three years he'll get one on target or smash in the back of the net. Other times they go out for throws. Mm. Um, and from an ugly, I think it's just the overall sheer negativity of the fans um, that I read on Twitter and everything else that uh, 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 just crying out for Gus Hiddink to come back or someone to come in and save our season and it is I think the ugly side of what we've what we've got at the moment is the short termism and it's I just 
find it very, very frustrating when people just say it's all about now. If the owner will decide what it's about, not us. But, um, you know, we're football fans, we're not managers, so AVB's there for a reason. And presumably a lot of the people I follow on Twitter aren't there because they're not football managers and never will be. So our fans, I think, in that sense, a lot of them quite ugly yesterday in the reactions. That's going to make me popular, isn't it? <laughs> I can see the unfollowed. Leave that one for comments on the blog, I think. Yes, um, yeah. Mark, you're good, bad, the ugly, please. Yeah, thanks, Jonathan. Um, you, you know, after about 80 minutes, the stewards always come down to the side of the pitch. Mm. <laughs> Donald, you were there yesterday. Did you notice mm. that at the Matthew Harding end, they came out to the end of the pitch at the Matthew Harding end three times? No, I didn't. I didn't see that. They've got, they got bright orange jackets on. Mm. Uh, three, three times they came down in the first half and spread themselves out along the line in front of the Matthew Harding. And actually, I was quite impressed with the movement. That's move, more movement than I've seen <laughs> at, that, at that end of the pitch for about a month. So I'm going to make that good. That's the movement okay. of the stewards. I wonder what that was all about. I've no idea. But it was good. Yeah. I mean, I, it was fast. It was enjoyable. <laughs> the, um, a little bit of pace. The bad, I, I had it as ugly last week, but I've, I've promoted it to bad, which is the lack of movement. But actually, what I now understand is why Cahill wasn't played for the first four weeks. Because yesterday, all he did was pass the ball sideways to David Luiz. And obviously, he wasn't capable of doing that when he first joined. He kept wanting to lump it forward. And it's taken him four weeks to be indoctrinated to pass <laughs> sideways. And, and he's now fully capable of doing that. So that's, that's bad. And, and the ugly is that... Um, I keep now comparing Chelsea to Arsenal. Mm. And it's a bit like comparing, you know, what's better, a Subway chicken and bacon ranch melt or a Big Mac meal made large. And actually, they're both rubbish, and I don't want either of them. But I'm trying to compare and say, well, I think actually that one's better than that one. We're better than Arsenal. Or, you know, I shouldn't be comparing ourselves to Arsenal, but I've now been reduced to that. That's pretty ugly. Excellent. Thank you for that. Um, I will briefly offer my good um, yogi, but I'll do, as Mark did last week, I'll, um, I'll do it in reverse order just to try and um, put a positive spin on this. Um, the ugly, I thought some of the reporting about the, the supposed, you know, chanting of our fans seeing Jose Mourinho, it wasn't, it was the Birmingham fans. Not that that's a positive, but, you know, let's get our facts straight. The same thing with the, with the supposed Drogba team talk. Um, it's all a little bit overblown, and uh, whilst the manager is under pressure, and may bring some of it on himself. Um, he doesn't really need a load of lies told about him, which is not terribly helpful. Um, the bad um, it seemed to me to be the over overall performance from what I saw on the highlights. Um, you know, it's all very well having possession, but this is um, the possession stats are becoming the the dull willy waving of football. You know, we had sixty three percent possession. Well, so what? You did absolutely out with it. Um, that obviously needs to be improved. Um, the good we are still in the cup. And, um, and we'll remain so until March the 6th when we uh, visit St Andrews and hopefully we can uh, carry on from there. And the enhancement of that, of course, is, is that um, uh, Arsenal are no longer... No longer. Which is, <laughs> and that means, I think that ratifies their seventh trophy-free year, doesn't it? Mm. Well, they're not out of the Champions League yet. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you isn't quite you over. You, Mark, are a beacon of optimism, honestly. <laughs> 
Um, what we will do now um, to fill in a bit of time before we talk about um, our, our excellent superstitions thread um, is just a, a quick chat on a few of the, the newsworthy points of this week. Um, congratulations to our youth team who have, um, having beaten West Ham on 5-4 on penalties after a 3-all draw, um, will progress to the quarterfinals. Um, I didn't see the game, but apparently it was a, a fairly decent encounter. Um, West Ham thought they'd won it with... Um, a goal to make it 3-2 in the 92nd minute, but um, in what seems like uncharacteristic manner for a Chelsea team these days, um, Nathan Chabalo, I think is uh, the way you pronounce pronounce his name, or Chaloba, I can't remember, um, nicked a late equaliser with the last kick of the game and um, and then took us through on penalties, which is excellent news. Um, Obviously, we could discuss how we would um, maybe like to see one or two of those lads promoted, but um, I suspect we may be here all night. Um, on the um, on the subject of youth, Gar Kakuta um, apparently knocked home uh, a goal and um, assisted for another when um, Dijon beat Nice three 0 yesterday. Um, again, apparently that follows up a similar performance last week. Um, anyone like to proffer an opinion as to why he's out alone and not here? Uh, yes, I will. It's t- Hello, do carry on, please. Yeah, um, <laughs> Sorry, I was why just taking is he out online. He just wasn't given a chance. He came on that brief cameo 20-25 minutes against Wolves, absolutely lit the stadium up. I was looking at him that night, um, I think we won 5-1 or something in the end, um, but I was watching him that particular day and thinking, if this was an English player, and we, we would be having headlines of Rooney-esque proportion here. Yeah, This, mm, this yeah, guy was fearless. Um, and he hasn't been given a chance. He went out on loan only to be shoved in, you know, not even been given a chance last season. I think he's undeservedly out on loan. I think he would have been like Ramirez, would have been fitting in the team. I think we would have, we, we paid the price last season in, in what turned out to be a dead season for not giving the likes of him and Josh McEachran more time. Mm. And um, you- it, I think it's a shame. I think it's a real shame. I'm sorry to interrupt, but do you, um, obviously, I can't remember where Kakuta went, I think he went to Bolton and then Fulham on loan, as far as I can remember, Um, and made very little impact um, in either place. Um, Is this a sort of, you know, a broader comment about English football and how it um, views sort of flair players like that, Um, or has he maybe found his level, you know, Dijon aren't doing terribly well, they're kind of candidates for the drop in... um, League in France, um, has he maybe? Is it is it harsh to say that he's found his level, or did he deserve a chance, Mark? What do, what do you think? Well, unfortunately, we don't get to see him and the other youth players on a daily, weekly basis. Mm. And you know, all we can do is trust in the manager and the management team. I mean, they're watching them. They're down at training. They're down at Cobham. We just hope that the management team are making rational decisions about people, and yeah. they obviously think that he's not quite ready, needs a bit longer in the oven, and um, you know we, we don't know whether he'll come back at, or, or just be sold off, and um, he'll just be you know a, a small part of our history that we'll forget. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point, Donald. Do you want to add anything on uh, the subject of Garg Kuta? He, he, he certainly seemed to be a, a very bright prospect. A couple of years back, but he, he suffered a serious injury, didn't he? he his, his, yes, a really bad ankle injury. I don't know because, uh, as you said, we don't get to see them regularly enough. I don't know if that affected his mobility or his his general style of play. He 
he came back and, and did quite well in the um, in the European tournament, didn't he, for, for the French youth side, but then didn't seem to make any impact when the season started. Mm. You do worry, you know, you might say, oh, well, he only went to Bolton and he only went to Fulham, but Sturridge went to Bolton, did well up there. So Very true. And, and we're talking not about a team that lumps the ball around, but plays a bit of football. So Fulham again, you know, playing football. Side, yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know. It may be simple things like the boy left left France when he's young. You know, we, we tend to forget the settling in and the, you know, how well do do players move around the world. I'm, I'm sure some do better than others. Right. Is it perhaps a bit of that? I don't know. It is, we just, as Mark says, you sort of have to trust the the management to some extent because we don't see them, we don't watch them train and so on. But um, it may be that he picks up some confidence and develops a bit in, in Dijon, comes back and, and plays his way in. I hope so. Uh, he, he certainly seemed to be a, a real creative force a couple of years ago, but mm. hasn't followed through. And that's a story that happens to a lot of young players. No, it's difficult to know. Uh, it's, it's a very good point, actually, just in terms of uh, you know a player of that age, are you dealing with what was obviously quite a serious injury, moving from one country to another? And you know, let's not forget the. Um, enormous hoo-ha around um, our acquisition of him and um, transfer bans and court cases and all sorts, which um, whilst he was directly involved in terms of the ban itself, um, it, it can't play particularly well on um, on a young player's mind. So um, we'll try and keep an eye on um, what he gets up to in France and uh, report back on it here and um, offer our opinions when we do. Um, we move on to the FA Cup quarter-final draw that took place this afternoon after Liverpool's... Um, Stuffing, I suppose, is the best way um, to put it, of uh, Gus Poyet's Brighton. Um, Liam Bridcut, who I believe used to be on our books some years ago, managed to get a brace of own goals. Um, not the best of, afternoon for, of afternoons for Brighton. Um, we are, if we get ourselves past Birmingham, which um, we can offer opinions on um, on the blog if you choose, um, at home to Leicester, which um, brings back Memories of our, um, our run in '97, I think it was, when we ultimately won, and um, Erlen Johnston fell over. I think um, if anyone um, would like to offer their memories of that particular day, who was the ref? Can anyone remember? Uh, I can't. I can't actually know. It's probably someone we've sworn at heavily since. But, uh... <laughs> it was a good ref on the day. I think that's yes, that's one thing. <laughs> Um, I, w- I wasn't out of the game, but I remember it. But um, as Tony pointed out when we were chatting briefly beforehand, that um, it was one of the things that got um, Danny the referee said Mike Reed. Sorry, John. Mike. Oh, right. Okay. Sorry, I just googled, and honestly, swift <laughs> googling there. Excellent. Well, I just you know, Mark's not the only one. I, I needed to, to show that I have sort of a master. Somebody, so I just literally typed in Erlen Johnson ref. <laughs> 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 and came back, Mike Reid, there you go. Six worst, one of the six worst refereeing decisions from the Guardian in September 2008. Yeah, but they hate us there, so, you know, yeah. we don't take any notice of that. Um, I, I think I think they missed the trick when they were sort of doing the Chelsea pitch owners. Uh, they should be marketing these various bits of, you know, there are significant oh, pieces of turf around the place. And I think they could certainly have asked for three, four times the money to get the... You know, little bits that Erland tripped over. People would have paid 
gold for that sort of thing, I think. Shipped it to us at home. Yeah. That was an interesting sound. Yes, I would say that was none of the panel. I would like to um, state that now. Um, I think um, suggestions that we might need to um, find that bit of turf and uh, stick it back on the pitch in in the the hope that it might give us a hand. But um, I think if nothing else, on on what's been a a relatively bleak week... um, if we can get past two championship sides, we're um, we're back at Wembley for a semi-final, and any, anything can happen. Um, if if Mr. V.S. Boas has anything about him, um, he will realise there may be an opportunity there to um, keep himself um, a in a job and b on the um, just about on the right side of the fans. And uh, obviously, that remains to be seen what happens. Um, we move on um, to Napoli. When we will be heading for um, a Champions League, the first Champions League knockout round on Tuesday. Um, I had a quick look at Napoli's form. Um, had we been playing a week and a half ago, we, we may have had a little bit of hope. They were on a fairly bad run of form. They were winless since the 25th of January. Um, they've managed to get themselves back into into the race in Serie A to a degree, and we're back to get wins over Kiev and Fiorentina. Um, five goals without reply. Um, some brief thoughts on the game, folks. Obviously, this is it's all conjecture. Um, what kind of team would we like to see out there? Do we do we harbour hopes of um, of nicking a result? Over to you guys, Tony. If you want to kick us off on that one, um, I think we'll do better. I think this seems to be a competition that so far um, Villas Boas has pretty much um, handled okay, and mm. that may be a reflection on the difference between the Premier League and the the Champions League and maybe slow, ponderous football, which, yeah, thinking about it, probably will work to a degree, or certainly used to, um, in the Champions League. I think after watching AC Milan pretty much destroy Arsenal the other night, uh, that that may be a, a, something that's going to come to an end. But for an Italian team, that was uh, that was something quite spectacular to watch. Mm. Um, uh, uh, whether Napoli have got the pedigree and, and, the, uh, and the, the current players to do that sort of damage to us, um, I, I don't think so. I think I would be probably happy if we came away with a really dull nil-nil draw and um, uh, brought them back to Stamford Bridge. Now, mm. said that, our form at the bridge, and I think Villas-Boas has got a little bit of a point. We do seem to be um, rather hexing ourselves our own our own location um, with a series of end, endless draws or you know sort of very anodyne performances or whatever. Um, but I think they, that, that has to end at some point, and I think one good thumping victory may well be just exactly what the doctor ordered for the whole club. And uh, so I think a nil nil draw. I think I'd, I'd be quite happy. I, I, I kind of hope that we go out there and out Italian an Italian team. It will be interesting to see that with our defence as it um, <laughs> as it currently stands. Um, Mark, I know you travel a reasonable bit to um, to watch if you're not going out by any chance, are you? Or? No, I didn't fancy it. Um, and I, I'm based on our last few performances. I'd have had to have booked the tickets a few weeks ago. I'm quite grateful that I'm not going. So, mm. um, you know, having watched us for the last four or five weeks, having seen Arsenal last week, my expectations are now set to. Realism levels, mm. and uh, yeah, personally, I'd be happy with just one Cornetto. To be honest, <laughs> <laughs> I suspect it may be all we we will be leaving with. Uh, Donald, your, your thoughts on the matter? Um, I, I, I'm probably the only person on the planet who 
has yet to slaver over uh, the demolition of Arsenal. Um, possibly might do if we squeeze past Napoli. Um, neither did I see Napoli playing City uh, earlier on in the Champions League, but they got a result at home, didn't they? They beat City 2-1 at home. Mm. So, I, admittedly, City were not quite as composed in the Champions League as they as they have been in the Premier League, but given their playing staff and general level of performance, it would tend to indicate that Napoli would, would be a difficult tie. Like Mike, I can't... Uh, sorry, like Mark, I can't see this um, this team, the way it's playing at the moment, offering much other than just hanging on for a, a draw somehow. Mm. Um, they will then take us by surprise, a bit like they did with Valencia, because that Valencia performance kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah. Valencia looked a little nervous, and, and our early goals seemed to unsettle them. Perhaps if if we can get something going early... But I would guess our tendency will be to sit and try and play out the first 20 minutes. And if it starts to go wrong, uh, as it very often does for us early on in the game, I don't know. I, I can't I can't imagine what sort of a game it's going to be. I can't imagine what the result will be because it's so difficult to predict anything these days. When you turn up and, and they, they play really poorly, it's not a surprise but then sometimes they pull out a performance and you think, well, they're going to turn the season round and then they don't. So mm-hmm. I have no great... I'm meeting a very old friend of mine to sit in a pub in Wardour Street. Uh, he's a Tottenham fan. He's promised not to laugh. Um, he's bringing an extra large handkerchief to mop my tears and uh, we'll see how we go. But that's... Uh, it's not a prospect. I'm not expecting a lot from the game, mm. and so any anything will be a bonus. And if they can get get anything that makes it worth the night at the bridge, then then I'll be happy. I think um, I think we can probably round that particular point off. Is that we're, we're all maybe travelling in hope rather than expectation, as you so often the way with football. But um, yeah. thank you for that, gents. Um, if I, there's one other thing, uh, John. Uh, by playing Napoli, they are the only other way they could come close to um, uh, uh, any sort of memorial to my birth would be that if they played Barnet, because I was born in Gracie Fields' house in London, as it was at the time. She happened to be living in Capri, which, of course, is only a short journey from Naples. So, you know, I I will be looking on with that added interest in that, um, (laughs) you know, had I been able to go out there, I would, of course, have made the pilgrimage to... Dear Gracie's other house. There we go. Excellent, thank you. You, you actually well, mentioned there, John, um, about the, the hope, travelling more in hope, and we've, I think, we've commented before on the blog. You know, that it's the hope that kills you. Mm. Um, and I just wondered whether you know, you, as you, you know, the players they walk out at Anfield, there's the big sign there, this is Anfield or whatever. Mm. And I'm just wondering whether we'd be better off over each of our turnstiles just putting up a sign that says. Abandoned hope all year, <laughs> yeah. but you know, not from a doom perspective. Just simply, you know, by applying some logic that it's nothing to do with hope. Remove it, and we'll be a lot better off. Just a thought. I think that's a good point, and I think it leads us on seamlessly done there, Mr. Glover. Thank you very much for that. Um, to our um, points about superstitions. Um, 
this it, it elicited a fantastic response on the blog. Thanks ever so much for everyone who emailed or left comments and um, and so forth. There were some great stories there about what a basically bunch of lunatics we are in terms of following this football club. Um, I'm going to hand over to Mark to compare this little section because he is a rational, sensible, thoughtful man who doesn't countenance any of this bloody nonsense. Um, Mark, if you want to go around and uh, ask us about all our lunacy and to pick our um, our favourite points um, that were left on the blog, over to you, sir. Yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> yes, yes, in our pre-discussion it transpired that I'm the one with the least superstitions. I only have one, and that's wearing my lucky Moscow shirt. And I'll continue to wear it. It still fits me very well. Um, I had a quick scan through the blog, and there's some interesting responses on there. Mm. Um, and, and we'll touch on those in a moment. And, and they're including everything, um, ranging from um, what people wear to rubbing a ring before the game. So I don't know where to start, really. Don't let's start with you. Do you, do you have to rub your ring before the game? <laughs> <laughs> um, sure. Um, sure. I, I have uh, I've probably run, run the gamut of, uh, of, of superstition from, you know, items of clothing, uh, lucky badges, uh, and a whole variety of, of nonsense like that. My current fixation uh, tends to revolve around around electronic media so that if I, as I did yesterday, I take a, a little radio to the game only so that I can flick it on if there's a, an incident just to find out, you know, did it look like a penalty? I thought it looked like a penalty, that type of thing. And that all then becomes bound up with a, well, I've turned the radio on just to hear what the score was at another game and we scored while that radio was on, so I can't really turn it off now, can I? And then suddenly they equalise. So now, now I've got to turn it off or should I just switch it to another station? And the same thing happens with, you know, watching streams on, on the, on, on the, on the laptop. You know, if, uh, if one is starting to get a bit shaky, well, can I leave it because we're actually winning at the moment? You know, if I abandon it then and go to another one, we could possibly lose the game. And of course it's all madly egotistical because it, more or less says that um, you and your personal actions are defining the fate of, of millions of others, uh, not just your team, but all the other fans, uh, which, of course, is, is madness, but that, you can't stop doing it. At least I can't. You know, it, and it's, it's things like that. It, it's more or less, you know, should I turn the radio on now? Well, someone's told me that uh, we're leading 3-0, and if I turn the radio on to listen suddenly we'll lose you know it's that sort of complete nonsense um, thanks Dan I can't get away from it I need help <laughs> I'm sure we can help you um, Tony did you want to tell us about anything that you get up to or if not pick up on any of the responses we got to the blog um, yes I'm, I'm going to let um, I'm going to let the good Lord Kaiser I think deal with the Terence the Cat um, uh, list of things because uh, I think <laughs> I think that's probably one one for him to pick up on. Um, my um, the first one that I looked at that I really thought, and I actually replied uh, along the lines of, um, uh, "Well, dear Lord," but I didn't actually say "dear Lord." I, I was a bit more coarse than that. But um, this this guy John had gone on there, and he's written "must have sweets to hand," etc., etc., etc. But he's he's now saying, "If not attending tricky, tense, televised away games." 
Um, I can't watch live in a pub or at home because I get too wound up. So I Skype plus it, go somewhere else like the pictures to avoid all news, then call someone to get the result. And that is me. I am... <laughs> I, I, if I wasn't going to the games, and yesterday it was only because I was so ill that I actually sat down and watched it because I had nowhere else I could really justifiably go, um, I will not watch it. And, and I agree with Donald. It is egotistical. It's a bit of a God complex, isn't it? You know, look at me... The, the, the actions that I, I do here will help us win. Richard and, Dawkins uh, would have much to say, I suspect. Yeah, and, but I think, you know, from that point of view, I, you know, I, I am a coward. I have hidden on many, many a night. I have turned off every form of electronic communications uh, and almost got to the point of sealing my own letterbox up to stop people putting post-it, throats, post-it notes through the door telling me what the damn score is because they know I'm trying to avoid the game. I think... Um, Penalties is my other one. I am no longer allowed to watch penalties at Stamford Bridge if we get one. Um, this is by a common vote of everybody that stands around me, who I now have to stand and face because um, uh, every time I do that, we score. The last penalty I actually saw was Michael Ballack when he scored against Manchester United. I think we all remember the quote about stepping up to the plate and... Uh, I can't remember who it was, someone threw a bit of grass at him and someone else patted him on the head and he just sort of glassily like, you know, stroked the ball home. Um, but yeah, I think that John had it right. I've got a couple of people, Bob, Chelsea Bob, who I travel up with, and he's, it's not really a superstition, it's more of a lifestyle choice, um, has no red anywhere, no red clothes, no red cars, there is nothing red in his house. Um, and he's a model railway uh, person, you know, so he's got this huge, probably 30, 40 grand's worth model railway out in his, his shed. And um, I believe there are no red engines or coaches on that. <laughs> because, <laughs> yeah. And, and the, kit, the kit we had with the flash of red last season, mm. utterly refused Not popular, to buy it. I would imagine, yeah. yeah. Utterly refused to buy it. Um, I, I, I must admit, I've enjoyed some of them on here, but um, the closest one for me is this complete. Um, don't watch it and it'll be okay. I can't influence it, but I'm not watching it. Ridiculous. And um, Jonathan, are you you're happy to expose your personal habits? I am, yes. I, I don't actually have that many. Um, the, the one, Well, there's two that I, I hold very dear, which I'll explain briefly. Um, the first one is no haircut on a match day. <laughs> is that because you're bald? No, I, <laughs> thankfully I'm still retaining... The majority of my hair, despite the um, the football club that I support's best efforts to um, remove it over the years, um, I'll explain briefly why. Um, I was this is a number of years ago. Um, I was off to a wedding in North London uh, one Saturday, a Saturday evening after a game. Um, needed to smarten up a bit. Went and had a haircut. The wedding in North London was of um, no, it wasn't of an Arsenal fan, but basically all of his friends were Arsenal fans. We were playing Arsenal. So, had my haircut, went off to the game, planted myself down, we managed to get ourselves 2-0 up, oh, everything was looking rosy, we'd not beaten Arsenal for some years, um, certainly not in the league, um, and again, that little thing, hope, just started to creep in, and then a chap called Canu came on the pitch, and utterly bloody ruined everything. <laughs> I spent a hideous evening in North London being openly abused by Arsenal fans, and Big that and so forth. Um, so consequently, no more cuts on match day. That that was my rationale for why we lost. Obviously, um, 
So that's the first one. And um, second one, primarily drink in the, uh, the Slowly Pony on Parsons Green. Um, whilst the quickest route from there is um, down the road, the name which I can't remember, which is ridiculous, having walked down God knows how many times over the years. Um, across Parsons Green, you have to take the footpath. You cannot cut across the grass. We did it once. Um, it was when we were playing Lazio in the Champions League um, and we lost something like a 27-year unbeaten home record that night and it's the one night we walked across the grass. Horrendous. So no walking across the grass. Um, the one that um, was emailed to me, because he's an old friend of mine, um, and I asked him for his um, particularly fantastic tale, which I'll just run through reasonably quickly because it's a fairly long and involved story. Um this friend of mine, Sean, lives out in the Shires now and um, doesn't get to as many Chelsea games as he's like. But um, when he was a regular back at the bridge in the 90s, um, he pitched up to uh, a game against Liverpool on New Year's Day in 1997. Um, freezing cold, he had a pair of gloves with him. Left those gloves on the sweet cellar's counter outside the back of the West End, I think it was. Um, it was so cold that he decided to miss kick-off and go back out and get them if they were still there. They were joked with the lady on the stool that, oh, they must be lucky, we're going to need more than luck today, because I think Liverpool had beaten us 5-1 at Anfield that season. Um, and lo and behold, we won 1-0. And the legend of, as, as football fans do, the legend of the lucky gloves was born. Three or four weeks later, we have Liverpool in the fifth round of the cup. Again, goes along, takes his lucky gloves, um, we're 2-0 down at half-time. Maybe they're not so lucky after all. Um, but it was fairly chilly, so he puts them on. And um, I think we all know exactly what happened in that particular game. We win 4-2. Um, we go on and win the cup that year. The modern Chelsea, if you like, was born. Um, so the legend of the lucky gloves was born. Um, within a few months of that, the following events happened. Um, his journalist went on a couple of press junkets. The first one to the McLaren Formula One garage. Um, being shown around the new cars and so forth. And... Um, he explained to the guy showing him around that these gloves were, were lucky and, you know, if I touch the cars, you, you're in title-winning form without any problem at all. So the guy said, well, technically you're not allowed to touch the cars, but I suppose if it's a glove, you're not really touching them. So he laid his, laid his lucky glove upon the, um, upon the McLaren car. Um, I think it was that weekend, um, the French Grand Prix of Manicourt, um, the first corner, both McLaren cars took each other out, several million pounds worth of trashed Formula One car, both teammates out of contention. I think it was the first time it ever happened to them. Little more was thought of this. Um, moving on from that, um, Pete Goss, a chap who um, apparently had him, I don't remember too much about this, but he had himself a, a super whizzy catamaran to um, build Circle the World in record time. And again, my friend Sean pitched up for some sort of press launch and uh, explained to him about the lucky gloves and uh, I should... Um, you know, lay them on your boat for good luck. And so he did. And the boat, I think, cracked into the, one of the hulls cracked in two. Uh, I remember that, yeah. And, and then it ended up being what he described as the most expensive hazard to shipping ever built. <laughs> uh, and, and apparently, you know, he said, you know, had they been, been a few miles away from shore, they'd probably all be sleeping with the fishes in inverted commas. Um, and so... Also, the, the, the bit I didn't mention when we were chatting earlier, um, he went to the website launch, which when Chelsea Football Club launched its website, um, and actually talked to Ken Bates, and he picked up on the fact that he misspelled Gianluca Vialli's name wrong on the club website. And, you know, chatting away, and he joked about his lucky gloves. Um, obviously, not much later than that, 
Gianluca Vialli was no longer our manager. Um, so his friends met and said, those gloves, mate, you have to go home and burn them, and you have to burn them immediately, because they are, frankly, no longer very lucky. In fact, they are exactly the opposite. So he went home, and lo and behold, this is where he gets all of it, Stephen King and Twilight Zone, couldn't find the gloves, they disappeared. And um, his suggestion was that Arsene Wenger may have been wearing them in the uh, San Siro on um, Wednesday night last week. But um, that, that, that's, that's my, my rambling superstitions and um, tales from friends over with. And uh, Jonathan, you, you've had a chance to look through the entries on the blog. Yes. Is, is there anyone that strikes you I, I as think... particularly memorable that would earn our reward for the... 2011-2012 season? I, I think um, when we all saw this this post on the blog, um, it was from a, a lady called Terence the Cat, who um, I follow on Twitter, who she, who's very witty, bakes a mean cake as well. Um, I will simply read the entry, and I would urge everyone to actually, we could, we could pick out so many of these, because there's some great ones on there. I would urge everyone to actually just go on the blog and read them, because they're great. Um, I will read this word for word, because it's fantastic. Um, I have a magic ring, Steady. It's actually a rosary ring. If the opposition is attacking, I have to rub the crucifix on it, which must be facing the palm of my hand. While we're in possession, the ring must not be touched. Also, I sit in the front row of the East Upper, and my programme must sit on the stone barrier in front in front of me, facing the way that we are shooting. My season ticket should be on top, and then my mobile on top of that, again, facing the way we are shooting. And I have loads. We really could be here all night. When we sing, we all follow the Chelsea, etc., etc. I must not sing the word Wembley or we won't get to Wembley. Last one for now. When the team run out, both at the beginning of the match and half-time, I have to keep clapping continuously until all 11 are on the pitch. Many a time when they are waiting for one play, it seems to be taking ages and everyone has stopped clapping. There is still me, stood, stood up, clapping with everyone looking at me. I know I need help. Terence, I think we can, we can safely say you are amongst friends here and there is nothing to be ashamed of. Um, I think that for, for, a quick, for a quick vote, um, we, we, we simply salute you. Um, and I suggest that we make you the first ever recipient of the Order of the Podding Shed, which is <laughs> sort of a, a Blue Peter badge for those afflicted with Chelsea, if you like. Um, I have no idea what the award will be. Maybe it'll be sort of a ceremonial trowel that we send you in the post or something. <laughs> we salute you. You're amongst friends. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Thanks, Jonathan. Back to you. Right. Um, I think that rounds us up for the week. Um, thank you very much again, gents. Um, I've thoroughly enjoyed that. That was great fun this week. Um, not mm. that it isn't ever fun. Um, we have Napoli and Bolton this week. Um, anyone's guess what we're going to be talking about uh, in a week's time. Until then, thank you to uh, the panel. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. And good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.